I had my guys over last Saturday for uh, gaming. We were running my sci-fi game. And so I was doing one of those kind of things. You know, this guy was stealing a, a, uh, a spaceship, and I was having him describe the spaceship to me. He's like, yeah, it's got these, these downward jets so that, uh, you know, I can, I can run them across the uh, you know, bad guys on the ground and burn them up. And I said, okay, so, you know, for when, you're, when you're hovering, the jets are, are facing down. He says, yeah, they're the landing jets. You know, I'm like, okay. So later in the game, he's going to take the ship and land on the roof of a building that has all the civilians hidden inside of it. <laughs> and his, his fellow player characters are on the roof waiting to be rescued. And so they were like, yeah, come over and hover beside the roof and we'll hop in. Well, he's like, okay, so I'm going to land on the roof. And I'm like, so on the roof. And I said, uh-huh. And I said, so you're landing jets down. You're going to land on the roof. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so you know, he, he's landing the, the, the spaceship on the roof. And, of course, the whole top of the roof is engulfed in flames, sending all the players <laughs> leaping off the roof before the whole top of the, 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 the roof is just engulfed, you know, in flames. And, of course, the roof isn't built to have a spaceship on top of it. And so it crushes and falls, toppling, bringing the whole building down on, you know, all 30-some civilians, 40-some civilians <laughs> hiding inside the structure. <laughs> and so he, he's, he's disoriented because the ship has, has, has fallen in, inside the building. And, you know, he's got the external sensors on. And so he can hear screams and whatnot. And he's like, well, I need to get the ship out of here. So I blast off. I'm like, so you're you're firing up the landing jets again. Uh-huh. So, you know, he, <laughs> he sets the building on fire, brings the building down on top of them, and then incinerates the remaining survivors. <laughs> and then the player got mad at me that I made all of that happen. <laughs> with Aaron, Polly, Tim, Wayne, and Andrew. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. This is Tim. And I'm Andrew. Okay, so Paul sends out this link the other day to a new porn parody, this one for Star Trek The Next Generation. And we've had an article on Ideology of Madness about it, and you know the production values from the, from the still images look like they were going to be pretty sharp. Well, yesterday, Friday, I think... Paul sends out the trailer for it. And oh my God, it looks like it's actually going to be a decent movie. <laughs> it is, it is, have you guys seen it? No. What? If oh, you would have mentioned it before we started recording, we all would have watched the trailer. <laughs> it's on the outline. <laughs> but not that there's a trailer out there, that there's a link. We should have oh. probably have written it on Wayne's Balls. <laughs> Everyone would have seen it then. Everyone. It's like the bat signal. <laughs> I just feel left out that Paul sent an Aaron porn trailer. It was on Twitter. Wait. It was on Twitter. 
It was on Twitter. It was on Twitter. Yeah, clearly, you don't read Paul's feed. I don't, I'm not. A, I'm not a big Twitter guy. Are you not? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you only have three names on Twitter. How are you not a big Twitter guy? <laughs> wait, wait. Oh, that's right. You don't know about the rest of them. Never mind. Go on. <laughs> well, the production values on it are just amazing. Um, and it, I mean, it, it, it doesn't look like a porn parody as much as it looks like a, a, a really highly produced fan film. You know what's funny? I was reading about it. Supposedly, they wrote it so that it would be in continuity. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It's, it's a follow-up to the death of Tasha Yar. <laughs> and yeah, that is fantastic. It, there, there are these, and it doesn't, like I said, it, it doesn't look like a parody at all. I mean, it almost looks like a loving tribute to Star Trek The Next Generation. But, of course, the trailer has no sex in it. So, you know, I, 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 there, there are actually kind of uh, shots in the trailer where you can say, oh, okay, the, well, sex immediately follows that scene. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, there, there's nothing. Um, hey, let's face it. That's how we all watch Star Trek anyway. Oh, well, sex obviously follows that scene. <laughs> sex is going to follow that scene. Well, oh, you know, uh sex. There, there, there's nothing really, you know, lascivious or, or, uh, you know, provocative really in, in the trailer. I mean, it doesn't look like it's porn at all, which I guess is kind of the deal is, you know, bring these folks in to, to watch the fan film and Hey, there's all your fucking, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm actually kind of interested in watching it. I mean, cause it like, it's like, like you were saying it, it looks like it's going to be in continuity. I think it's going to be the best next generation product since first contact. That's what I'm going to go on record as saying, because I mean, <laughs> the first news article I see about this thing is entitled Star Trek porn parody has more plot than most Hollywood movies. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> and it, it releases next month. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I might actually buy that one. I think I might too. And I'm just kind of cracked on me. Blu-ray. Up. I might buy that one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the the digital effects on it look pretty good, though there is this uh, little scene in the trailer where they're firing their phasers, and it looks more like they're hosing down the driveway than, <laughs> you know, they're actually using them for combat or something. But what's funny about it is, you know, I checked out the website for that company. Yes. And they have, like, all sorts of high-end parodies. Like, it's a different company than the ones who did the Batman porn parody and the superhero porn parodies. They have, like, a Scooby-Doo porn parody. Oh, which, you know, it's, it's lame. But they have two X-Files porn parodies that look really good. Like, apparently they won awards for their acting. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. And no, they're directing. Thing. Is it like the Golden Cock Award or <laughs> <laughs> they, they go to the Cockies? <laughs> I, thought, I thought they're called the Woodies. <laughs> the Woodies. I like the Woodies. The Golden Wood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. also the name of their next movie. I just I just can't get over how good this looks. I just it, yeah. I, it's stunning to me how good it looks. I I will I will pick it up and we will have a whole podcast episode about it. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can lose my invitation to that one. Oh, it could Tim. be a special episode like the Capricast was. Exactly. <laughs> I have like no idea what you podcast. call this, but maybe the Cockercast. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so that actually brings me to my mystery topic that I didn't tell you guys about. Because it's a mystery. Because <laughs> it's a mystery. Paul the got butler it. did it. Paul. <laughs> 
I'll just this couch is, it out, Paul. We'll see how you do on the couch. This isn't an intervention, is it? Oh, uh, no. Oh, thank oh. God. I didn't want another one of those. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's got nothing to do with Grant Morrison. Um, <laughs> no, okay, so, because we're talking about porn. And, you know, so, Jonathan Landreth, you know, he created the character of Ramiel for our Knights of Rainsboro podcast, right? Or did he? Well, <laughs> he came up with the idea, like, you know, like Stan Lee created those Boom Studios characters. <laughs> um, that is exactly it. Okay, I'm, I'm with you now. <laughs> but, you know, while he was masturbating in the shower. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Stan Lee did the same thing. Yeah, Stan Lee did the same thing. Oh, yeah. So, uh, uh, Traveler Excelsior! <laughs> that creeps me out. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but apparently, what, I, what I've discovered, I always thought everyone was, I always thought people who masturbated in the shower were weird. Okay. Apparently, I'm the weird one for not doing this. Yeah, you're the weird one. How am I the weird one? <laughs> because you don't do it. That makes you the weird one. That just it blows my mind that everyone does this except me. Yeah, everyone. Okay, so Paul. everyone on the face of the planet except for you. So Paul. <laughs> yes. Is there a uh, study or something that you're pointing to? <laughs> Why are we all of a sudden? <laughs> Why is this what all of a sudden a revelation about? to you? Yes. <laughs> it's a revelation to me because I, there was I had a conversation last night, and apparently everyone else does, and it's just kind of like it, it kind of creeps me. Who did me you out. have this conversation with? Because you it's, didn't have it with everyone. You didn't ask us if we do. His priest. Well, I'm asking you now. <laughs> <laughs> on that other podcast I'm on, I had a conversation. <laughs> People, Wayne. People. Your wife. No, <laughs> Aaron, Aaron's mom. Yay! Oh no, Wait. Jonathan's grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Nana. Like any of them are alone with their there. <laughs> so what's this uh, line item about pre-ordering your comics? Because I'm real interested in that, considering what we're talking about now, and <laughs> and, and and less so about the uh, masturbation in the shower. Yeah, I already forgot about that. What? <laughs> All right, so we'll move on to the next topic because that one fell flat. <laughs> Creeping me out, Paul. What? It's Wrong just... podcast. We, we just well, no, I th- okay, let, let, let's follow it up. If you're not shucking corn in the shower, Paul, where do you shuck? Other the, places. The grocery store? Backyard? <laughs> Back of a horse-drawn wagon? <laughs> Movie theater? I don't know. It just never occurred to me to do it there. How about that? <laughs> Living room? In, in front of the dinner guest? Yeah. <laughs> in an apple pie? Br- breakfast nook? <laughs> breakfast nook. <laughs> On Aaron's oh. mom's chest. Oh. <laughs> Sunroom? So answer the question, Paul. <laughs> Sitting in the lap of the Lincoln Monument? In church. <laughs> All of those are better answers than anything I would have come up with. So why don't you just choose one of those? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm taking it in front of the dinner guest. <laughs> See, now we know why Paul's comic guy really puts stuff in his bag because he's made a mess on it already. <laughs> yeah. yeah, put this back on the shelf. <laughs> this is when I want to get skeeved out in the morning. Thanks, Biff. <laughs> hey, it's only 8.30. <laughs> it's, only, it's time for the masturbation talk. Wow, it's like it's like Jonathan never left. 
Paul's the morning type of guy. Yeah, it depends. Anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, I are... feel like we're playing a game of Clue. It's Colonel Mustard <laughs> in the ballroom with the candlestick. No, it's more like a game of chicken, and I'm trying to yank the wheel so we don't crash, but everybody else is like, no, this is a great idea. Let's keep driving. Oh, no, this is a horrible idea. We've, we've started off in the gutter and never crawled our way out. Well, when your topic is Star Trek porn, it just kind of led into it, I thought. Hey, you know what did drag itself out of the gutter? Justice League Generation Lost. What? No, you skipped my other banter topic. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> it's good to read. <laughs> I scrolled down too far. <laughs> I was looking at DJ Kitty. <laughs> he tried so topic. hard to get us on track. <laughs> the, the classic oh. trade wreck this is. Did you want to tell us about something about pre-ordering comics? I have a qu- well. I have another question for you guys that has nothing to do with masturbation. Oh, thank God! <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I've seen it at least four times this week online that creators are saying, if you want the comics, you know, if you want comics, you need to start pre-ordering your comics. You know, we're talking about guys like Ron Mars, Raven Gregory, a couple different guys on Twitter. Um, I've read an article about it on Comic Book Resources. They say, you know. To, to help orders, you know, the only way that comic shops are going to order enough, you know, for especially with independent books, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, hey, if you want an independent book to last and you're interested in it, pre-order that first issue. Now, I'm talking with four other guys on the podcast who don't pre-order their books. Yeah. So, I, I and, you know, in fact, most of you guys don't even look at solicits until a week ahead of time because, you know, that way we can coordinate our pull lists. So, I mean, how do you guys feel about that? Like, would you ever pre-order your books just to make sure you got them? Or do you just I, have to rely on the comic shop to get them? Well, I mean, I've got my pull list, and that's kind of like pre-ordering. I might pre-order if I absolutely was sure. But to be honest, when one of these big crossovers or something new comes out, I don't know for sure if I'm going to buy it till I'm at the store. Because I pick it up, I look through it, and I make my decision right then and there based on the quality of it. I mean, I don't like to give anyone just a blanket, yes, I'm going to buy this, until I know if it's worth the money or not. See, and that's the tricky thing for me also. You know, it's like, I don't want to put something on my pull list that may suck. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I want to glance through it. You know, the cover may be by David Finch, but the inside may be by Aaron Head. You know? That would be awesome. <laughs> It'd be brutal. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to be surprised like that, you know, but uh, apparently pre-ordering is, you know, uh, all the creators are saying you should be pre-ordering your comics. And Well, you, you know, know I, it, I would say the same thing. I mean, it, you know, I, if I could convince my work to do it, I would say, hey, you really should be paying me months in advance for the work I'm going to do. That, I mean, because that's exactly what the creators are saying. Well, is, is that if you really want them to to crank out that title you're looking for, you know, if you want to ensure that you're going to get it at your shop, you should go ahead and pay for it a lot in advance. So well, I don't even think this is I don't even think this is paying for it in advance. It's more a matter of they just want to get a count of how many is, are going to be out there. I mean, the comic shop is paying for it in advance, but you're not really paying for it in advance. Right, but you're committing to make that purchase so that right. the, the retailer is really not taking a risk that you're not going to buy it. 
And I mean, I understand that mindset of asking for people to do it because it's you never know how many of these things are going to sell unless you get some good numbers ahead of time. Mm-hmm. But let's face it. It could be crap until it's in your hands. You don't know. It could still be crap in your hands. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, uh, you know I, we do I, have some comics to talk about this week. Well, you know, I, my comic shop doesn't. It's really not a pre-order situation for my pull list because I, I I give them my pull list for the coming week on Sunday. So you know, it, it, I'm just telling them from the books that they're going to receive. You know, here's what I want. Um, so you know, my guy's not out any money. If, you know, I'm not uh, uh, picking up Iron Man this week or, or something, the I, I really strongly dislike pre-ordering. I have I, I used to to participate in a pre-order service years ago and got burned really hard on it. And I just I'm not interested in doing that anymore. I am much more interested in, in having my books held for me as they as they currently are. And you know, getting to make those selections each week. Now, what that means is, um, I have never seen uh, Fred Van Lente's comic book comics in my comic shop, and my guy stocks a lot of indie stuff. And you know, I've never seen that book in, in our shop. Well, we've talked about it quite a few times how I have multiple shops, and I end up having to hit the second shop because my shop will be out of stuff. Yeah, and that's why. I mean. If I don't have it on my pull list, there's no guarantee it's going to be there when I get there or that they're going to even pick up the title if it's not one of the mainstream ones. Yeah. Well, I, I think that I think that what guys who are, you know, that concerned about their print run have got to do is they've got to have a better digital presence. You know, you, you've got to, You've got to be able to make your stuff available digitally and you need to perfect that marketplace so that you're not tied so deeply to that print run. Yeah, but let's let's talk about issue zeros for a sec because that's kind of what they're trying to trying to do is determine how many people are going to get the issue one with the issue zeros. Yeah, the last couple of issue zeros we've gotten, like I know Andrew can talk to Kara's Magic that that was not a a accurate portrayal of the the comic book, nor was Dungeons and Dragons zero. Yeah, so I think they've got to do a better job of, of if if they're going to go the route of putting out an issue zero to try to see what the run's going to be that they need to capture the feel of the book instead of using it as a we've got 10 pages to get through all the baloney so that we can get to the good stuff in issue one yeah they should take a look at what radical did because radicals zero (coughs) issues and previews actually were the feel of the book i mean you knew when you picked up issue one what it was going to be like because you'd already read something months in advance for it I can understand their reasoning because with the financial model they're using, it makes sense that pre-orders are going to help promote their book more than anything else. But at my store, pre-order is not really an option as far as you know going out several months ahead of the release. So you can put it on your pull list and and you'll usually get it. Uh, but you know, like if I know books coming out this summer, like say let's say I want to pre-order Fly, which I think comes out in June, July. From Raven Gregory, Xenoscope. Yes. Uh, I, I couldn't do that at my store. Because he just doesn't order that deep in indie books? He just doesn't order that far out, as, yeah. as I understand it, as, as how they do things there. So I can say, hey, can you put that on my uh, pull list? But you know, it'll, it'll probably get there. Yeah, Andrew, from what I hear about your store, I always envisioned, instead of actually ordering books... He just every week drives out, intercepts a truck, and steals a box <laughs> off the truck. Whatever happened to be in that box, they put out on the shelf. It's El Camino Comics. North. Exactly. 
Yeah. Uh, it's it's brutal. Uh, and in fact, I have a story to tell about them uh, later in the show when we get there. But uh, yeah, it is it is brutal. And, and the, the first six or seven comics that we're going to talk about, or actually the first three comics that we're going to talk about, those are kind of like mainstream comics. You know, their sales aren't going to be affected by pre-ordering as much as you know some of the stuff that we're going to get to later in the show. Well, you know, so, when, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. No, please go ahead. Well, when you look at the heyday of comics, they were selling. You know, and I'm not talking about the 80s. I'm talking like you know back in the 50s, prior to the Comics Code. You know, they were selling millions of copies, you know, they were selling a million copies, you know, on the successful titles. And now a successful title is anything that hits a hundred thousand. And and I think I think the real problem is 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 not addressing, you know, pre orders so that, you know, the the nine thousand people who want to read your book can get a copy of it. I think the issue is branching out and and getting comics back into the hands of, of people who haven't seen a comic in, in years or maybe have never experienced a comic. Um, I, and I really think that answer is digital comics. I, I think that that you, there has got to be a much better way to, to get digital comics into the hands of folks. Because uh, I think folks like comics. I think folks, you know, I, I think children as a rule like comics. I think that, uh, you know, teenagers like comics. I think you just got to get the right title in their hands and in the right format. And I think that's how, how we will improve circulation. Because, you know, right now you're marketing. And like I said, on Indie Guys, you're marketing for 10000 Oh, God, I hope we hit 10000 You know, and it's just it's too small of a population. They're, you know... I, can you imagine when you were a kid first starting out in comics and pulling books off the spin rack, um, you know, having to look through previews to figure out your books for, for you know, three months down the road? I just think that's kind of crazy. It's a, it's, it's a broken model. No, that's a good point. That is a very good point. <laughs> saying that until I, something else comes to mind. I agree. I agree with that. It's you know, very good. it all goes uh, back to the same problem of these people are preaching to the converted already. Yep. You've got to bring and there's got to bring new people into comics, and you can't do that by advertising in other comics. Yep. And I see that they have a valid concern about making sure that there's enough interest in what what they're doing to, you know, turn a profit. I, I get that, but that's just not the way that like. The, the culture's been. The culture's been go to the comic store, look on the rack, and go, oh, shiny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, a movie you know, theater couldn't say, you know, okay, we want you to tell us who's going to go to the movie before we start releasing it. Yep. Doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah and let's talk about the problems we've had on pull lists where we try to get something <laughs> off of the dang pull list because it's turned to ass. I don't know, Superman, Hulk, on and on and on. <laughs> the Scourge. Paul, uh, Paul's been physically beaten for, for trying to do something like that. So it's like, why? Well, there's no reward for it. Well, and I mean, you know, it's it's like your analogy. You know, tell us who's going to come to the movie. Well, uh, on the retailer side, that retailer has to lay that money out before you ever buy the book. You know, and I know that you know I was used to be on one pull service years ago where you had to put down half of your uh, half of your comic pull for that. You know, the you know two three months down the line up front. Oh, screw that. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's it's just a, a crazy situation. No, I, I can't think of another business that works that way. You know, yeah. at the retail level. When I was at my store Wednesday, I was I was about 
a hair's breadth away from just canceling my entire pool list because of of problems and just getting rid of a pool box altogether because it's really? just not it's just not worth it. I'm not prepaying or anything crazy like that, but you know, you, getting things on and off the list is is takes a small act of God. Yeah. And then uh, right now, I, I, yeah, I have four books on there right now, and two of them are Green Lantern. So I'm like, uh, <laughs> are the other two really worth holding on to? Uh, this this pain my ass. So, yeah. I don't know. You know, yeah, you I, get stuff off their pull list, Aaron. I bet Max Lord could get stuff off his pull list. But it, he would just, you know, he would have this major hemorrhage from his nose, though. You know, sometimes it feels like that's what it takes to get something off your list. <laughs> You're telling me to go in next week with a nosebleed? That's right. And, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, make them forget Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they've already had. I've never seen that book on our shelves. So. <laughs> God damn. so justice league generation lost number 23 the penultimate edition of this uh of this series and uh, last right for 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 andrew (laughs) will explain that that's the second to last Uh, should it be by ultimate then anyway (laughs) (laughs) you know i i absolutely loved how last Last time this came out, we talked about how they've been going 22 issues and now Batman showed up and everything's going to be wrapped up in a couple issues. And I guess that's all they really need was for Batman to show up. And then in this issue, we find out, oh, no, Batman screwed things up worse. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Run. That's what I kind of like. It's a very Monty Python (laughs) kind of moment. Run away. Run away. (laughs) I love that realization there of wait a minute. Max Lord doesn't have Wonder Woman's DNA. No one knows what Wonder Woman looks like. They're not tracking her. They're tracking us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty groovy. Um I, it doesn't feel like this is the second to the last issue though. No, I don't know what's going to happen for their big finale for this. I mean, I mean, I wonder if they're going to, you know, do a a big like double-sized issue or something. I haven't looked on online to to see what they're going to do. But uh that super OMAC, OMAC Prime, uh, really kind of hands the the JLI their ass in this book. And, you know, things aren't looking good. Things aren't looking good, but it looks like we are going to get a showdown between Max and Booster Gold. Yeah, I, and I'm I love that all this fight happens and Booster just flies off to deal with Max. Yeah. And that uh, Max didn't see this coming at all, and there he is. Yeah, I, I like Max's line, you know. <laughs> You know, did did you think threatening me was actually going to end this? And Booster says, "No, I was hoping I'd have to beat you like a damn dog first. <laughs> <laughs> it is so exciting to see good Booster stories since yeah. we can't get it in its own title. I'm really hoping with Dan Jurgens coming back, Booster's going to get good again. And I have to say, I'm even excited for next week's Smallville because Booster's going to be in it. Yeah, I didn't know Smallville on the. Yeah, I was unaware of that. Yep, next week. Yeah, Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. Now, yep. speaking of Superboy, um, I did something shameful this week. When you no. speak of Superboy, well, because you're talking about Smallville. So ah. see, see, see. You did not Got it. connections. <laughs> 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 I picked up Reign of Doomsday Superboy number six. Uh, why? But, oh, why did you do that? Well, the the cover looked good. And so I, I grabbed it from the shelf, and the interiors looked good. And I have to say, it was actually it was one of the best Superboy stories I've read since Jeff Johns left the Superboy title. 
was actually pretty good. And the really nice That's scene. not saying much, though. <laughs> it, it was a, had a really nice scene between uh, Superboy and Red Robin. And uh, a lot of story happens on the page. I kind of dug it. I'm ashamed to say I picked it up, but, you know, it was actually worth the two ninety nine. And, you know, it does it does fit the same model of Doomsday shows up, beats the hell out of the character, and then takes the character with him. And does everyone assume the character's dead for no obvious reason to assume the character's dead? The good news is, is that nobody saw the fight. <laughs> so there's nobody to say, hey, Superboy's dead. <laughs> So anyway, I, I dug it, and, and the artwork was amazing in it by Marco Rudy. Uh, was really, really very strong. Uh, I, I'm hoping he stays on the title because that might bring me back. Yeah, I plan. I plan on getting the big issue that come that this is all leading up to for Doomsday. Just even though the individual issues up to this point haven't been good, I didn't read this one, so yeah. I'll take your word for it that it wasn't complete and utter crap. It wasn't. It wasn't. But even though the buildup hasn't been good, I still I'm going to get the the big issue to see what's going on with doomsday. Well, I was, I'm curious though, because it says, you know, this is reign of doomsday chapter five. And I was like, okay, I was aware of the steel issue and I'm aware of the, uh, um, there was steel and there was, what was the other one? There were two that we read. Uh, uh there was steel. There was outsiders. I think it's over, been over in Supergirl as well. No, there, there was, um, a justice league of America, and then there was a Superman Batman annual. Okay. So I, I I haven't seen the others, but this one was decent. You know, it wasn't the best book in the world, but I did rather enjoy it. So there you go. I snuck it in. Here we go. The Reign of Doomsday checklist. Steel number one, Outsiders 37, Justice League of America 55, Superman Batman annual number five, Superboy number four, and then the the uh, part six on this list is to be announced, hmm. but they're that's expecting action, action comics, comics nine hundred, and that's the one I plan on picking up. Well, I I, I really dug the scene with uh, Red Robin in, in this book. Uh, you know, Tim and 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 uh, Connor have this nice heart to heart, and uh, so I, I enjoyed the Red Robin appearance here. How about Red Robin in his own book? Uh, not as enjoyable. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this. It, it, as soon as we awarded our favorite ongoing series <laughs> in our Funny Books Awards, this series went to shit. I am sorry. You know, I have I, literally not enjoyed a single issue this year. I had hope because this was – they finished up that stupid Uthernet story. It's like, okay, they're going to get back to a normal story. And I opened this book, and it's part two of a crossover. With no reference to this ahead of time, the solicits talking about it being the first part of the crossover, even though it clearly says part two on here. So I have to play catch up trying to figure out what's going on in the book that's usually one of my favorite books to read each month. And you know what the worst part about it is? I went on the Internet. I looked around on the store. I cannot find what part one of this crossover was. Yeah, and it doesn't say it anywhere in here. There's not a freaking star that says, please see you know, this issue of this book. Nothing. I mean, it tells you where to go for the next part of the story, but there's no clue where the first part of this was. I'm assuming it was the last issue of Azrael, but yeah, it doesn't say it. It was nothing any of us read, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know... 
putting all of that nerd rage aside, if this was just a, if I if I ignore the fact that the story is going to keep going and I just revolve the story around Tim Drake and his battle with his faith, I actually like the book. I like that Raja Ghoul is having the conversation and basically says, "Oh well, if Tim didn't pass, they're screwed because the other guys aren't going to stand a chance." Just the respect that he shows for Tim. I, I like that. I, you know, I like that. I liked him struggling with, you know, the, just the whole issues of I, I do all this good and yet crap still happens to me. And these these two insane people want me to try to prove, you know, that I'm righteous. And it, 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 it was I liked it. I, I, I mean, I, I get the whole fact that if you wanted to hear, hear the whole story. There was no reference, and that that sucks, and it's kind of inexcusable to be honest. But putting that aside, I, I like this book, and and this wasn't this one wasn't drawn by Marcus Toe. This was no. Freddie Williams the second, and I think he did a really good job. Yeah, he used to draw Robin. Um, you know, the, when Robin was when Tim Drake was Robin, he drew like the last run on that book. So I, I do like his art very much. You know, it's very energetic. This is an action-packed book. You know, the art and, did feel like a callback to then too, especially on that first page when you see Robin kneeling down in the old costume. It, mm-hmm. it reminded me of those darker stories. And I guess I probably should have clarified. I don't hate this issue. I did hate the internet stuff, but I don't yes. hate this issue. But I hate the way it was handled and the fact that you're getting an incomplete story. It doesn't, you know, and it tells you it. it it's what's funny is it tells you where it continues, but it doesn't tell you where it continued from. Yeah, it pissed me off pretty badly. I want to know where it started. Because I got to be honest, it's kind of a confusing story without knowing, you know, what led up to it. You know, it's it, I, I know, uh, you know, Fabian Nicheza, you know, he, he did a decent job with the writing, but, you know, it, everything moves so fast. It's hard to get caught up uh, on what exactly is happening. At least it was for me. You know, I don't know. Overall, it's not a bad issue, but, you know, I, I it's frustrating to me as a reader. Yeah, and I, I, I get that. And I and I I completely think that they should have clarified. And on well, the front of this, there should be a callback to the, the first one. It, it you know as far as to w- where this was, I I, I think it's Batman kind of, number seven oh eight. I've I've been doing searches while we've been talking, and I finally found it. It was Batman seven oh eight was part one of Judgment on Gotham. It doesn't say anything about it being a crossover on the cover, but it says Angels of Death on the cover, and it's got the characters. How huh. hard would it be to put Judgment on Gotham part one, part two? Yeah, yeah. Come on, people. And you know what's funny? I just what's sad is I just dropped Batman from my pull list. <laughs> Clearly at the wrong time. <laughs> Cuz that was the first issue of Batman of the monthly Batman that I didn't buy. Damn it. <laughs> well, I'm but, sure there'll be a stack of it left because nobody else buys Batman 708. That's a good yeah. point. And because yeah. they didn't say that it's part one of a crossover. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, this goes back to the issues I've had with DC and their solicitations. They they just don't keep them updated. I understand that they go out three months early, but you can update them should something change. 
you know, don't tell me the wrong artist is on the book or a different writer or that this is part one of a crossover when it's part two. You can clean that shit up. It's the internet. Ugh, frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about Batman and Robin? Okay, so less frustrating for me was Batman and Robin <laughs> number 22. So I'm really curious because Tim jumped into this title because it was the only place to get his Damian Wayne fix. So I, I want to know what he thought of this issue, the third part of Pete Tomasi and Patrick Leeson's first run on the book. Oh, I love this issue. I, I definitely got my Damian Wayne fix. If, yeah. if all that had been was the one page where Robin punches Zazu in the face, Zazu. that would have been that would have been enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> it oh, it's great. Early contender for scene of the year is when Robin starts cutting on Mr. Zaz, the guy, and Mr. Zaz. For those who who don't know, he he cuts um he cuts himself for every victim that he kills, and so Robin hops on his shoulders and starts slicing at him. And he says, hey, is it just you, or can anybody sign in? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I was very unhappy when Man Bat showed up. I'm really glad I I stuck around to see the end of this one. Um, I've I've liked uh, Dick Grayson's take on Batman. um, Because it's it's kind of funny, because the villain's going on and on and on. And Dick Grayson just drops in, kicks him right in the face, and says, "Why don't you save your breath?" <laughs> so good. So you yeah, know. I'm I'm really glad I stuck on with you, Paul. I'm um, uh, you know, like I'm sad Damian Wayne's not branching out into more things like like Kudzu, but uh, this is a good book. Yeah, I mean, this is you know, he was around in every book for a while, and yeah, I think he's still guest starring in Supergirl. But I guess the oh, only place man. to get your regular Damian Wayne fix is Batman and Robin. And I will be here. I'm glad he's off in a corner by himself with Batman. <laughs> no, th- you know, this issue was, you know, even though the villain himself, um, the White Knight, was a little weird, a little, weird, little lame of, of an origin, the, the issue is full of just badass moments. Um, you know, so I, I really, really enjoyed this first arc. Um, so, you know, th- th- there's only three issues of it, so you can, you know, th- that's what I like about Batman and Robin. It's done in three issue arcs, so you can get an entire story with just three issues. It's nice. So another book that I read this week, and I convinced Aaron to buy it. He did. Was Captain America: The Fighting Avenger? The Fighting Avenger. The Fighting Avenger. <laughs> now I asked on Twitter because the other uh, Avengers are all pacifists. <laughs> 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 They're going to do some avenging. But not through violence. No. They're just through, the peaceful Avengers. Through the art of haiku. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of them don't even put on their uh, suits of armor. Yeah. An interpretive dance. <laughs> well, this was <laughs> originally intended to be an ongoing series. Um, and it would be a companion piece to Thor the Mighty Avenger. No. But when the sales of Thor the Mighty Avenger ended up making it a miniseries, this was then announced as a miniseries, changed to a miniseries. And then after Thor the Mighty Avenger got canceled entirely, it became a one-shot. Yeah. And the two issues that were done were combined into one shot. Mm. Uh, Four ninety nine, Captain America the Fighting Avenger, written by Atomic Robo's Brian Clevenger, with art by some guy I've never heard of called Guri Hurry. Seriously, Who? his name. Yeah, Gu- Guri Hero. 
Guri Hero Sun. Sorry, Guri Hero. Guri Hero Sun. Something out of so, Shogun there. Um, <laughs> I, so, Paul. Yes. You uh, convinced me to buy this book. Tell me what mm-hmm. you thought. I, I I really really dug this book, I, I, and and I'm I'm sure you're going to have a conflicting opinion based on your your tone of voice, but um, <laughs> I I actually really enjoyed this book. I would continue to buy this book if it was if it kept being published. I had I had fun with it. You know I, I liked the cast of characters. I liked the art style. I liked the reboot aspect of it. You know, of course, it's not you know it's a it's not the the sweetness and light of Thor the Mighty Avenger, which right. I just started reading. You know that that's more you know that has well, more romance. It still is. Like I mean, it, you know the uh, it still has that all ages feel to it, despite the fact that you know there's crazy Nazi stuff going on. Um, but you know, there's not the none of the violence is explicit. The uh, you know bad guys you know don't seem awful, <laughs> you know, and but they do seem like somebody that you need to punch in the face, you know. Um, so it does seem it does fit that kind of all ages mode, um, but you know, and, and it's certainly very accessible. Now, you know, you were saying that that you know it's kind of a reboot. It is certainly out of continuity, Correct. and we 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 meet a Steve Rogers, a Captain America who hasn't even been named Captain America yet. You know, he's sporting the the red, white, and blues, but he ha- the 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 war department hasn't yet dubbed him captain america so one of the ongoing gags in the book that i thought was just hysterical is that they kept calling him different stuff you know like they were calling him you know uh, the all american uh, yankee doodle <laughs> star spangled yeah. soldier you know and then all you know the son of sam son of sam what does that mean well you know son of uncle sam <laughs> <laughs> Well, wouldn't that make him the nephew of Sam? No, he's he's Uncle Sam's son. You know, there's a whole dialogue going on, which I thought was really hysterical. And and you know, Cap makes a perfect straight man. You know, mm-hmm. because it's he it's kind of almost this you know dirty half dozen kind of story you've got going on because he's he's you know put with this unit of uh, four or five other guys. You know, and they're all the comedy. And you have, you've got stars. You've got uh, you know, <laughs> Star Spangled Soldier being the uh, the uh, straight man of the group, and they don't like him. They don't like him one little bit, you know. And their comment is, you know, why do you have to wear that uniform, you know, out out in public? Why can't you wear our uniform? Because you know, everybody who stands next to you in that uniform is dead, you know. Well, and my favorite aspect, one of my favorite scenes of the book, is you know, they're like, he won't dress like that, right? And the general's like, well, the uniform is a symbol. And the soldiers say, we all have uniforms. Army green is symbol enough. And I thought that was interesting. Like, yeah. That was an interesting commentary on the costume. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Cap learning to uh, throw his shield in the book, you know, mm-hmm. was kind of fun. So there's this one scene where he throws the shield and it gets lodged under a tank or something. And, you know, he's being shot at and running around without a shield. And he, he's, you know, saying to himself, a shield is not something to be thrown. A shield is not something to be thrown. <laughs> <laughs> It was actually a very good book, and and I so was the shield the around shield then? Yes. Are they red counting out the old, yes. uh, you know? Yes. Shield shaped yes. shield. Yes. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. It's, exactly uh, what they've done. Yeah, and his costume is entirely is is very different as well. There's it's a little, you know, it's it, there's actually black in the costume as well. 
and there are no uh, wings on the side of his head. Right. It has cutouts for his ears. His uh, I, I I really rather enjoyed this book. I, you know, it's Brian Clevenger has a remarkable ability to you know bring this nostalgic kind of feel to these stories. I mean, it, it very much felt like Captain America running around in the Atomic Robo world. Exactly. It was very Atomic Robo-ish. And I, I dug that. My only dislike is that I didn't – while I think the book is brilliantly drawn, I don't care for the style. You know, It's got that uh, manga kind of look to it that I just I'm, – I'm not a fan of manga. Um I kept expecting the Star Blazers to come, you know, rushing into the rescue. <laughs> We're off to outer space, protecting Mother Earth. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know that didn't happen, so I, I, I didn't know where you know spaceship Yamamoto was. So maybe that's. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this this was this was a really very good book, and I was able to get past my. Uh, dislike of the artwork because i recognize it's drawn really well um and that that one scene where you know you had the uh uh oh gosh uh baron strucker reveal is just really a, a great page you mm-hmm. know he's got his big super tank rolling up behind him it is my sincere hope you will fail to see the wisdom of surrender you know just i <laughs> 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 gotta I picture him mid-scene up there with like his hand up, cocked at an angle while he's saying that. No. That's exactly it. So, uh, and you could tell that that was where the book was going to end the first issue. You, yeah. know, it's, you know, it's got the Baron von Strucker, evil Nazi scientist, weapons master, and complete jerk. <laughs> anyway, it was a good book. It was a good book. Yeah, it was I, a lot I, of this, fun. I, I think it is a really nice companion piece to Thor the Mighty Avenger. Um, now, Paul, you've, you've started reading the trade. Yes, I read the first trade um, of Thor the Mighty Avenger, which collects the first four issues, so I need to get the second trade, which actually collects the last four issues. And what, um, what are you thinking so far? I'm, in, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. I really am. I think it's a great book. Um, I told I you. I think it's really sweet. It's, yeah, a, I, it's a shame new uh, issues aren't being made still. God yeah. damn it, Andrew, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to jab a fork in your neck. <laughs> <laughs> you're the con five. You can afford that fork because you're not spending money on Thor the Mighty Avenger. <laughs> <laughs> it is going to be a double forking. I am going to fork the shit out of both of you. It's <laughs> going to fork the shit out of you guys. Yeah. Now, um, for those who, who slot five, he, he doesn't have to buy. He doesn't have to buy the next issue of Thor the Mighty Avenger. However, on Free Comic Book Day, there is a Roger Landridge written. Chris Somney drawn Captain America fighting Avenger and Thor Mighty Avenger crossover issue. That is, well, I'm really looking forward to that on Free Comic Book Day. Yeah. So you know th- th- that it, that was meant to be a crossover between the two titles. Should they continue being published? Um, <laughs> apparently, since neither one is being published, um, you know we'll, we'll get a free give it away from free because nobody other than Aaron paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> I bought the trade. I'm too late, I guess. <laughs> too late. Too late for them. No, you know I. From what I understand, the trades are doing really well. I don't know if that's going to mean anything for you know future, like maybe a graphic novel edition or something. But the trades are doing really well for Thor: The Mighty Avenger. And that, that is because nice. Aaron's buying like twenty copies. Well, this so. is true. Maybe. This is true. I've <laughs> stocked awesome. them up. 
You know what it's not too late for? It's not too late for the rest of you guys to join me and Andrew on Uncanny X-Men. That ship has sailed, Tim. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, sorry. <laughs> I flipped through it. It looked bad. I didn't buy it. Whatever. I've, I've canceled my trip to Genosha and San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, Tim and I this week read Uncanny X-Men 535. And this is my – Tim's been reading it for a while. This was my first issue in – Tim, what did you think about it? Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna correct you on air, Andrew, because that's awesome. Um, uh, I I dropped off just like everybody else did after uh, after the the, the crossover, uh, the the hope storyline, yeah. And uh, just because it you know vampires and stupidity revolving around hope and new you know newer mutants, I'm like I don't want to get to this anymore. But uh, our, uh, one of one of the podcast friends, Karen Gillen, uh, is took over the reins, uh, starting with this issue. So, you know, and it had Kitty Pride on the front, and I'm a sucker, so <laughs> I, I picked it up, and uh, you know, I I I, can't, I liked it. I, I you know, it revolves around this this whole uh, you know sword agent telling the X-Men that they need help dealing with uh, intergalactic battle cruiser um, because apparently uh, somewhere Colossus got tangled up with these with these folks once before. Yes, that was uh, Astonishing X-Men. It's the whole thing that led up to Kitty Pride being unable to turn herself physical. Right, because she, she phased into a bullet or something. Yeah, they thought, based on uh, prophecies on their planet, they thought Colossus was going to destroy their planet. So as a preemptive strike, they created this bullet that they fired at Earth, and Kitty Pride phased the entire bullet. And that was but the lead-up to this. Right, and so the, the fallout is she's, she's stuck in intangible form. So um, there's kind of a, a cool moment where her and Colossus are having a picnic, basically, and they try to hold hands, and it doesn't really work. And it's kind of... It's kind of cool. I, um, so, Andrew, what, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think I would have been a lot more into this if I had read that previous Break World story that led into it. Because there's a lot of references to a lot of things from that storyline. And, and kind of the, the big, oh, I think it's supposed to be the impactful moment at the end didn't mean a lot to me because uh, I wasn't really familiar with, with exactly what had come before. So, I, you know, I thought it was okay. The, the story was good. There's a couple of spots I really liked. Like, I'm kind of curious about when Magneto became such a huge uh, girl. Because yeah. um, <laughs> you're literally, Magneto's talking to Nemesis, who I love. And uh, <laughs> Magneto's like, hey, have you done that work for me yet? And Nemesis just blows him off. So what does Magneto do? He goes to find Cyclo- Cyclops. He's like, Cyclops, Nemesis won't do what I asked him to. Ugh. I mean, really, old Magneto would have just turned Nemesis inside out. That was that was a great conversation. Magneto's giving Nemesis crap, and Nemesis is like, you know what I like? Saving lives and killing Nazis. Now leave me alone and scuttle off to complain to the one-eyed visor. I'm saving <laughs> lives. Shout if you see a Nazi. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about... I don't like metallurgy. Makes me think of metalworking. That's what all the dumb kids got to do while the rest of us were rewriting the rules of physics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you ever read it, though, Andrew, you should grab some of those Astonishing X-Men trades. The uh, the storyline where Colossus comes back, which is the Breakworld storyline, was yeah. really good. Yeah, those Joss Whedon books were really good. <laughs> now, yeah. I'll have to go. 
I'll have to go look for those. Colossus had possibly one of the best returns out of any comic book re- character return that I've seen. That's fantastic. It, so now, the, th- that that storyline does break down in the Danger Room uh, piece of that arc. Yes. Yeah, the second arc. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the first and the third <laughs> arcs, really good. So I, I liked... Oh, go ahead, Tim. Sorry. Oh, I, I just wanted to talk about the, the two-page Uncanny X-Force spread uh, in this book. And I think it's in a couple different other books where it says, We will not let anyone else fall. And there's this scene of X-Force facing off with the with the X-Men, it looks like. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really interested in that. Yeah, it's MM1, but I don't know what MM stands for. It's uh, MMXI. It's uh, Roman numerals, 2011. Oh, oh look at you, Pauly. <laughs> Paul's been watching uh, a lot of Spartacus, so uh, yeah. <laughs> you know he's able to he's able to do that translation for you. See, I want to see the fight start, and I want to see the Avengers show up to break it up, and then I want to see Wolverine's head explode because he's on every one of these teams. It looks like <laughs> no, it looks like Wolverine has made a stand. Wolverine is all in the gray and the black in the in the spread. So, yeah, that is a very nice uh, two-page spread. I'm I'm kind of excited to see what where that comes from. Now, even the one for there's one in here for uh, X Men Legacy that looked kind of interesting too. I really, I was thinking the one for X Factor that actually shows uh, X Man in it. Ooh, mm. well, I, actually, I haven't I, seen that, and I want to see that right now. <laughs> I am the world's biggest X-Man fan. I mean, I will buy any book that they put that character in. It's like Damian Wayne for Tim. <laughs> well, and X-Factor does classify as any crappy book. <laughs> <laughs> Just so ask t- Jonathan. So, Tim, did you enjoy enough to stay around for uh, 536? Yes, yes. And, and, you know, I was reading the back, and Karen Gillen was uh, – oh, I'm sorry – that wasn't Karen Gillen. That must be the editor. Yeah. But they were ta- they were talking about uh, things to come, and I'm 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 interested enough to stick around. I, I think Paul's right. I think it might it's it's going to ramp more up with this with this the schism one, which I think is what that uncanny X Force uh, spread is about. But I'd kind of like to see a little bit of the pre lead up to that. So yeah, I'm on board. All right. At least this is at least this X title. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to branch out in anything else. All right, we're in for five thirty-seven. Then I mean, and, yes, five thirty-six. Sorry. And, and you know what? I'm going to have the money because uh, new New Avengers uh, just might have to get on the drop pile here. You yeah, are not joking. New Avengers right. number eleven. Uh, Brian Bendis, Mike Diodato, Howard Chaikin. What is this? The fourth issue of the storyline or the third? They all run together since they're all the same fucking issue. I think third. Okay. Um, I yeah, I I think like you guys, especially since I found out that Mike Diodato is staying on the title after the storyline. I, I may be dropping this book. Diodato, what does he do? The modern stuff, or does he do the? He does the, the modern. You know, I don't mind. I didn't mind the modern storyline so stuff. much. I didn't mind that stuff so much. I kind of. It, it's just the problem is the the blending it in with the crappy 1950s story that I've had it with. Yeah, the the Chaken yeah, stuff. I mind is the just, modern story. I'm sorry. Oh no, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. Uh, the the Chaken stuff just is awful. 
I, I don't like the way the uh, the Chaikin stuff is is colored. You know, I, I don't like the way it's inked. It's just it's just not good at all. I'm interested in the the modern stuff, but really this is maybe an issue issue and a half. And what are we three four issues into this story now? Yeah, three. You three know, issues. And I mean, while the cover by Diodato is just badass on this book, I mean, I really do like that cover. That scene does not occur in the book. <laughs> and and there is this scene one of the things that just irritates the hell out of me on the Chaken uh, section is that okay let's overwhelm the Nazis by dropping a whale on the castle what the hell was going on and I'm like okay so um, sorry Mr. Whale <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm How's thinking, he getting out of there? Yeah, I'm thinking that you know whale is screwed. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is why you know these giant whales are extinct is because you know Namora is just dropping them on Nazis throughout World War II, <laughs> dropping them like they're hot. <laughs> tactical, tactical now, if they would have said what was going on in the whale's head, I might be sold. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't suitable for children. <laughs> <laughs> how they lead into it, how Nick Fury calls for that strike, for the tactical whale strike, is they want to show them what God looks like. And I was like, oh, I flip the page, and there's this giant whale. That's what God looks like? Yeah. Really? The tactical oh, whale strike? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never see this coming. <laughs> You know, seeing, I sure did. seeing Diodato draw the new Avengers, you know, is just very reminiscent of his Dark Avengers work. And I enjoyed his Dark Avengers stuff. Um, just seriously not enjoying the Chaken book. And I got to tell you, you know, the, the big ending of the book is, you know, Captain America stepping out of the ruins of the Nazi castle as if he'd been working there. Nazi <laughs> Captain America. And, you know, this Chaken-drawn Captain America looks a little cockeyed, if you ask me. Well, not only that. Okay, so I get the, the big revel- – like, it took me a second to catch on what the revelation is supposed to be. Yeah. You know, it's 1959, so Captain America was supposed to be frozen in time at this time. Right. Or frozen. So either this is not Captain America, or, you know, it could be the Winter Soldier, or it's really Captain America. And the big secret that's revealed is that Nick Fury put him – back on ice after (laughs) i just that story just doesn't seem doesn't really interest me um well i don't know i just i i did not i am not caring for this entire arc three issues into this arc i have not loved a single issue yeah and i just feel it they're getting i actually feel they're actually getting worse well and and the two the two plot lines the two separate plot lines in two moments time seem so separate from each other i'm sure they'll come together eventually but we're three issues in and and do you guys have any vague idea how these are going to come together other than the fact that they're nazis no uh they're going to come together in the fact that both parts of this piece of crap are staying on the shelf from now on (laughs) i did get a kick out of ms marvel sitting there in the ruins of everything going you know there is ms marvel are you okay and she's like you know I'm, i'm having a hard time with this you know superior just handed us our superior just handed us our asses Superior. <laughs> I'll say it again. Superior. Superior. <laughs> well, you know, um, and I know none of you guys read the Hawkeye book. I don't read the Hawkeye book, but I know enough about what's going on in the Marvel Universe to know Hawkeye's blind right now. 
He didn't. He didn't look blind. Yeah, he doesn't seem blind in this book. <laughs> he goes running off by himself <laughs> across a cloud uh, you know, across a crowded uh, conference room. Sure. Marvel doesn't care about continuity. You mean continuity? <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> you know, if they wanted to tell a story where they're cutting between a main story and a secondary storyline, why couldn't they be telling the modern day story and then cutting back to Squirrel Girl back at the mansion with the kid? Meanwhile, I, <laughs> I haven't seen Squirrel Girl for for five issues. I want to see some Squirrel Girl. You're the only one. I know. I just want to see Squirrel Girl getting her freak on with Wolverine. Wolverine. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. You know. That's Crazy. what I want to see. It may, perhaps a in a Marvel Triple X porn parody. Exactly. <laughs> well, and and finally, to sum up my, my hate, my disappointment in this book, worst Avengers annotated oral history, whatever they're calling it these days, that I've read yet. How would you know? Did you read it? I Yes. Wow. I have you been reading them? I read 80%. Holy shit. Andrew, when you get an ice cream bar, do you lick the wrapper? Because you're getting your whole dollar's <laughs> worth. <laughs> so I'll tell you why. Because I opened it up, why I read this one. At first, I read them all. I got tired. I stopped reading them. But this one, I flip it open. And there is this giant page, full page picture of Hellcat, Patsy Walker. I'm like, oh, that, that might be interesting. You know, she hasn't shown up in any of these oral histories yet. But no, it's it's horrible. <laughs> so 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 let's clarify. You saw a picture of Hellcat, yes, and thought this might be interesting. Hey, I've got good memories of Hellcat from back in uh, uh, the West Coast Avengers days. Huh. Okay, just want I to mean, clarify. Her and Hellstorm, you know, came as a as a group, and so when they showed up for about a ten issue, twelve issue run on West Coast Avengers, I it's nostalgia probably, but I enjoyed well, it. You know, Andrew had a lot of free time because he didn't have Amazing Spider-Man 658 to read this week. That is very true, too. Andrew, why did you, Andrew I'm going to pull the pin and I'm going to let the grenade go. So, so, Andrew, why did you drop the title? I did not drop the title. I walk in – so I usually – you know, I, I walk into my store. It's, it's Wednesday afternoon. It's about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. The store has been open for roughly six hours. And I don't have Amazing Spider-Man on my pull list because, as I've said before – it's a huge pain in the ass. So I go in there. It's Amazing Spider-Man, right? They usually have a ton of copies. I look up, empty spot where it would be. I look at the gentleman working there. I'm like, hey, are you guys out of Amazing Spider-Man? He looks up from, from his Twitters and uh, looks over there. It looks at the hole, looks at me, looks at the hole, looks at me, and goes like, looks like it. It goes back <laughs> to his Twitters. Nice. <laughs> and so I'm staring at it, and I'm staring at him, and ah. You know, I was looking behind other copies in case one got pushed back, you know, behind something else. Nothing. How do you run out of Amazing Spider-Man five hours, six hours into your workday? How does that happen? I'm asking. I, you know, somebody underordered. It's Amazing yeah. Spider-Man. Come on. Don't ask me. I didn't run out of Amazing Spider-Man. In fact, I have two copies. And Paul, <laughs> Paul coming through for me. Well, you know, Paul likes to read one in the bathroom and then, you know, one in, in the you know. shower. Well, <laughs> that's why Paul's not masturbating in the showers, because that's where he reads his comics. Well, you might read Amazing Spider-Man twice a month. <laughs> when he buys his comics, he takes one of them, gets it split, laminated, bound, so that, then you know, it's now waterproof for the shower reading. Yeah, yeah that's exactly what he does. Because <laughs> Paul has crazy mad money. 
Oh, well, you know, it's like Bruce Wayne wealth. Yeah. Fantastic but, future, future foundation wealth. But instead of, you know, going out fighting crime, building mad gadgets, becoming the superhuman specimen that Bruce Wayne has become, he just bags and boards. So yep. that's that's uh, eat. I eat a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> I also I have a fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I make T-shirts and I had a Fantastic Four costume made so that I could be completely insensitive to the death of my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really curious what you guys who regularly read Amazing Spider-Man thought of this issue. Except for that scene, I really enjoyed. Actually, I had a couple of qualms with this issue, but that that was one of the main ones. So this supposedly takes place after FF number one, right? This supposedly ignores everything that happened in FF number one. Yeah, it's it's I, it, yeah. it is certainly out of uh, continuity. But uh, uh, if the, I had if I hadn't read FF number one, I might not have gotten as annoyed by this book as I did because there are some really good things in it that I, you know, like I said, I haven't been reading the title, so I'm not familiar with some of these characters, and I'm enjoying them. But I have to say, I was very annoyed by a lot of this book. Including the African American chick with the largest arms in the world, with the Popeye arms, with the freaking Popeye arms. I'm so scared. Now you know, I, I did kind of dig Peter's take on the Fantastic Four costume. Thought that looked cool, but the fact that these two books, you know, Amazing Spider-Man and Future Foundation. I'm sorry, no, Amazing. Is it was it the Future Foundation book or was it the other? It was a future, future foundation. foundation. Um, that these two books seem to be ignoring each other um, irritates yeah, he, the tar out of me. I don't he know got why. Excited about the stupid looking costume then. Yeah, he was amazed by it. He was shown that it could change what its appearance was if he didn't like the appearance. Yeah. Yet here it's like he's. They mentioned that he's. You know, he didn't take the costume last time, so they make reference to he's seen it. Yeah. But yeah, it's like he's never been in this costume or seen it before. Yeah. So not really. So, so continuity's falling apart here is what you're saying. Well, That's right. we've ta- we've talked to Dan Slott. Dan Slott doesn't have time to feed his fish anymore. So what's he going to write that for? Well, and and I get that he has to write these books so far in advance, you know. But even you know the the issue right before this was Peter Parker sitting with the Fantastic Four, figuring you know coming to terms with Johnny Storm's death, you know, and we and just the fact that. They changed their name to the Future Foundation out of respect for Johnny Storm, and he shows up in a Fantastic Four costume. It's yeah. like, good point. You know, he's yeah, not that much of a dickhead. No, but, he's not. He is. But that is a t- that was a t- that would be a typical Peter Parker teenage move, though. He's like, finally, I get in the Fantastic Four. Sweet, I've got this great idea for a costume. And then they crap all over it, and he's like, "Rag a friggin' nigga, frig, friggin'." Well, I, I do get but that he's not a teenager before, and he's I already know. been there and seen that they're not the Fantastic Four anymore. They've told them they're not the Fantastic Four anymore, right? Well, and I completely agree that the the moment is in keeping with Peter Parker's character. What it is not in keeping with is established continuity. You know, that's what that's what bugs the shit out of me is that you know sometimes as a writer you have to make a choice: am I going to go this way or am I going to that way? And what they decided is to go both ways, and it just irritates the tar out of me that somebody some editor doesn't have the balls to say, you know what, choose one. You know, I like it when chicks go both ways, but not editors. <laughs> you know, oh, and by, and by I the find way, it ridiculous that he doesn't have a costume anywhere other than his lab. 
I don't care that he's dating a CSI person, which I really am enjoying this character who I've never seen before this issue. But seriously, Peter Parker, Mr. Responsibility, he would have a costume hidden on the roof somewhere. Well, and why wouldn't he have one over (laughs) over at uh, the Baxter building? Yeah, I mean, he would have a costume some – he would have one of his costumes somewhere, you know, close. Because he's Mr. Overly Responsible. And and the idea of having to go, you know, to work to pick up a costume – does not fit with his character at all in any way. And, you know, think, if he's got the unstable molecule things working for him and they can change the appearance of his costume, can't it just change to, you know, regular clothes? Well, I think what you guys are overlooking is that no one can die when Spider-Man's plot around. Hole? No, no, no one can die when Spider-Man's around. So the more access he has to his costume, the more Spider-Man's going to be around, the more chances there are someone's going to die when he's there. So therefore, I mean, if he wore his costume all the time and made it look like street clothes, if some random guy down the street gets shot, then someone would have died when Spider-Man was there, and that cannot happen. <laughs> oh, by the by the way, best use of a mime, 2011. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, Early Sue Storm's got, got a little stroke of the cruel in her. <laughs> <laughs> did she did she put a mime in an invisible box? Yes. She did. <laughs> Ed started shrieking it until he he screamed in terror. Yeah, it's oh dear God, it's closing in on me. Help! Hey, he's good. But a mime <laughs> crying and screaming. That is awesome. I cannot wait to see that. And the mime had a beret, so it was even better. Now I, I love their their adventure in the microverse, and as their you know you know. Zooming away from the living electron. <laughs> Thank you, FF. Blessing and proportional mass be upon you. And then the FF say, well, for someone surrounded with negatively charged particles, she's very upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I dug the art. I, uh, I like the art. Yeah. yeah. I, the, the artwork by Javier Polito is uh, really, I, I just thought, spot on for the story. You know, it's it, rather nostalgic, still evokes some of that Steve Ditko to it. I thought he did a, a masterful job rendering the Baxter Retxab, the first ever palindromical architecture, a stru- structure extending backward and forward into the fabric of reality and headquarters to the Future Future Foundation. That was pretty good. Yeah, it's a, it was a fun book. It, there were definitely a lot of big ideas. It just seems like some of the... Some of the minute stuff, the character moment, like the you know Peter Parker's character moments, you know, might, might have gotten overlooked in the excitement of all the big crazy shit going on. Well, I, I found I, myself I, kind of annoyed by a lot of the Future Foundation stuff, but completely and totally captivated and hooked by everything going on with his CSI girlfriend. Yeah. This, and this is a new character for me. I haven't been reading the book. I have no idea who this girl is, but she's actually intelligent. Well, I, I feel like the, the errors that this book made is that they wrote more for the funny than for the, you know, uh, integrity of the character. Mm. And I, I think that I think the writer said, that'll be cool. That'll be funny. I'll write that to hell with the fact that it contradicts things that have been previously stated, previously so, stated two weeks ago. <laughs> what did what did you guys feel? What did you guys think of the backup feature? Now, my big thing about the two things about the backup feature, one is that uh, so? Spider-Man goes to a bar and orders God milk. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm like Spider-Man. I guess doesn't drink. He, he doesn't drink a soda. I mean, I could see a soda at the at the bar, but I, I guess Spider-Man doesn't drink. 
Yeah, and, I don't drink, and I've never gone and ordered a milk. I mean, come on. Um, it's and ridiculous. Then, second thing, I think that we need to bring Ghost Rider into a new era and get rid of the uh, the motorcycle. And I think the Ghost Rider should be riding a Segway. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. A golf cart. <laughs> That's my comments. I'm just done with Johnny Blaze. Danny Ketch was always a better ghostwriter for me. I really liked Johnny Blaze during the the Midnight Suns arc where he had the Hellfire shotgun. Yeah, walking around in the trench coat with the shotgun and his you know his different bike. That was a very cool take on the character that we're never going to see again because they feel the need to make him ghostwriter. Yeah, I but I I definitely thought like I've never seen ghostwriter this. He had this kind of sense of humor, so I, I really liked it. Now, you know, the, the, the backup story, which is a team-up between Amazing Spider-Man and Ghost Rider, and comes up under the flag of Marvel Team-Up, uh, and we have seen the backups used to launch uh, other titles. Is this is, yes. is is this tickling for a new Marvel Team-Up title? No, it's tickling for the new Ghost Rider title, which is written by Rob Williams. I don't know if Lee Garbett is the artist. Yeah. But Ryan Williams is the writer on the new ongoing Ghost Rider. See, that makes I me really, sad because I would love a new Marvel team-up title. I really like the Lee Garbage pencils too. So you know, it, I think nice Lee Garbage was on board. Yeah, I don't know. Is this the same artist who did the Amazing Spider-Man Annual that we all hated? Lee Garbage. I don't know. He might be. But I don't know. I, the, the backup feature wasn't bad. It, you know, it wasn't. It, you know, it didn't blow my mind, but it was enjoyable. Yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, I, I it. I, I would prefer to see Ghost Rider on a Segway, but uh, <laughs> or perhaps a Vespa. I could deal with a Vespa because that would be more fuel economical. A princess Vespa. Uh, exactly. Princess. But with the okay. big flaming wheels. <laughs> Yes, so. there's another reason why I like the Danny Catch Ghost Rider better. His motorcycle looked cooler. <laughs> <sighs> what the hell did Johnny Blaze do to you, Wayne? <laughs> was in a lot of really bad stories. Is generally written badly and was played by Nicolas Cage in a movie. Any character in the Marvel Universe that hasn't been in a few bad, crappy books raised their hand. <laughs> played by you Nicolas know? Cage in a movie. Well, okay, all right. <laughs> you, got, you got me there, but... <laughs> Uh, well, you know, seen a bad Nicolas Cage movie can throw a stone too. <laughs> well, you know, you, you you can take that journey on your flaming Segway, and you can take that journey into mystery. Issue six twenty two, as read by Paul and myself, but not Tim, who convinced me to read this book last week. <laughs> What are you people talking about? <laughs> you, you were doing the whole hey, Karen Gillen's on the Journey into Mystery Thor book. Uh, you guys gonna get no, in? No, Karen Gillen was on the Uncanny X Men. You're getting your nouns mixed up there, Sunshine. <laughs> That's what I recall. <laughs> well, I, I did. Think... I did look at it in the, on the shelf, but it didn't draw me in. So, Paul. Yes. Did you read Journey into Mystery Fear itself? I did. Now, this is replacing the, the monthly Thor book, uh, is now turning into Journey into Mystery, right? and features Loki, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Doug Braithwaite, 
whereas Thor is now going into his new monthly Mighty Thor title, right. written by Matt Fraction with art by um, Olivier Copiel. Yes. So I decided to give this one a shot. You know, I I didn't I cared for some of Kieran Gillen's run on Thor. Yeah, the, the, I think that what we liked on the the Kieran Gillen run was the stuff that he really had an opportunity to to plot and plan out. It was his oh crap fractions not ready. Here's some additional stories that I think that uh, we didn't much care for. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the same team. It's Kieran Gillen. I think Doug Braithwaite was the artist on that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, this is Loki has been resurrected as a child. Uh, who I, I guess has no memory of his previous life. Right. Uh, I, I got that from reading this. Um, so you know, th- this is Loki gets a hint and goes on a quest and uncovers, I guess, uh, the echo or the ghost of old Loki, who, right. who provides him guidance, and it all leads up to the fight between Odin and Thor um, that happened in Fear itself, number one. Right. I gotta say, I, I, the book was actually halfway decent. Yeah, I liked it. I, you know, it was a, uh, it was a little more talky than I. It, it was a little bit. It was a little too much um, heavy on the narrative. I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, you had a lot of box text in the first several pages of the book, narrating about you know these birds that are are flying off on their mission. But you know, once it gets into Loki. I rather enjoyed it. I think I think Kieran Gillen's got a nice take on the character. Um, you know, my frustration with the Loki character has always been that, you know, he's always kind of, you know, he's he's a chaos god. He's, you know, the god of lies and mischief. He's always causing stuff to happen. Um, I uh, at, at some point somebody has got to say, you know what, this guy's got to go. <laughs> You know, and I liked how they resolved his character at the end of Siege. And this looks like, you know, there's this scene between um, the the old Loki and the new Loki. And the old Loki is saying, you know, I was trapped in a cycle. I was trapped in a cycle that this is all I could be. And if I couldn't change, I'd rather be dead. You've got the opportunity to change. And he's not saying go out and be a be a good guy, but maybe not, you know, run to chaos all the time, you know. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued at what they're going to do with this character, and I really do hope they do something new and fresh with it because I was kind of worn out with Loki. Yeah, and I think that's – Loki was worn out with Loki. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, new Loki, I, I got to be honest, Tim, new Loki kind of is a little Damian Wayne-ish yeah, very with old so. English. Mm, I liked my Loki when Loki had boobs, so that was a good Loki. That was a good Loki. Um, I will agree. I'm not, I'm they not ended really that way anymore. too soon. I totally agree. <laughs> that could yeah, have been absolutely. a great story that they kept going for years, but yep, it way too soon. Yeah, Lady I, Loki. Well, I wanted a, I wanted a confusing like morning after scene with with Lady Loki and Balder. Well, I, I have to say, I mean, I really wanted you know Lady Loki and uh, you know somebody like Balder or you know. Fandral or somebody to hook up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but we never got to see that. We never got to see those awkward moments. But no. uh, and I, I don't want to see it with Kit Loki. What so. I what I no. really wish is that um, this book had come out prior to Fear itself. Yeah, 
you know, Fear Itself book one, I think this would have been a nice lead into that, particularly because one of the things that I disliked about Fear Itself is that I couldn't figure out where the hell Odin came from. You know, because when I left the Thor book, not all that long ago, Odin was dead. And, you know, I really wanted to, to have an explanation as to what the hell happened to Odin. Well, they provide that for you in the, uh, you know, summary document at the end of this book. He fell through like, the plot hole. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, it, it, it took a sentence to explain, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But Superboy I, punched the universe. Got it. <laughs> Who Kidney knew it punch was so wide-ranging? But yeah, I dug it. I, I will pick up the next issue. That's yeah, where Spider-Man's pick. costumes went. He fell through the plot hole. He took Spider-Man's costumes with him. <laughs> <sighs> but, you know, one thing I do want to note before we move on from this book is in all the Marvel titles uh, this week, there was a big two-page ad. There were a lot of two-page ads. <laughs> um, You're a two-page ad. Your mom. Uh <laughs> For the new Marvel Big Shots, I guess because Big Time worked out so well for them. Now they have Big Shots <laughs> um, with Moon Knight by ben, Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev, Daredevil by Mark Wade and Paolo Rivera, and Punisher by Greg Rucka and Mark Chiquetto. Are you guys going to pick up any of these? No, oh, no. Um, nope. Yeah, uh, I'm going to pick up Greg. I'm a huge fan of Greg Rucka. I'll be picking that up on the Punisher, and I'm not even a, a fan of Punisher. I really dig Mark Wade. I'm curious as to what he'll, he'll do on Daredevil, and I, the team up of Bendis and Malieve, You know, they gave us Alias and uh, the Pulse. Uh, I will be picking that up as well. I like all these creators, but hell no, I'm not touching any any of these three books. I'm, really? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna give each one a shot. Yeah, yeah. I'm hitting all three. I I. I <laughs> I absolutely love all three of these writers, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm real curious. I, what, what I find so interesting is that the artistic styles of, of each of these artists are miles away from the artist that uh, drew the, the uh, double-page spread here. I don't know. who. I think that's Brian Hitch. I know. I think that's uh, – that's either Alan Davis or uh, Jose Farmer. You know who it's I think it is? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but you no, know, but I, all that's... the artists that they have, I don't know who Mark Chiquetto is. Yeah. But Paolo Rivera, you know, he's a good artist. He was on that, uh, you know, the death, the the issue of Amazing Spider-Man after yeah. Jonah's wife died. Yeah. And Alex Maleev is a great artist. I Absolutely. Mean, yeah. No, I think these are great teams. Yeah, these are great teams. I am all on this. I saw this this week and I was like, holy shit, I am so on that. And I knew that that Bendis was going to be doing Moon Knight, and apparently he's doing a huge redesign of the character. But I had not heard about Wade doing Daredevil, and I certainly hadn't heard about Rucka on Punisher. And Rucka writes some amazing crime fiction. So I, I, I can't wait to see what he does here. He also wrote Batwoman. So And I love I Batwoman. You're I mean, right. Batwoman was awesome. Batman, yeah, Batwoman was was quite good. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so I wish sad. I, I wish I had a giant sword so that I could take care of people that have inappropriate ideas and thoughts on this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> much like Garrison, the head of the Battle Chasers. <laughs> yes. So last week, um, I was talking about how Battle Chasers, the anthology, was coming out this week, collecting all, I think, eight issues of the title um, that were released. And um, everyone kind of was like, huh? 
So hopefully all of you Googled it and now know what Battle Chasers <laughs> are is. Um, now, this collects uh, the 8-issue series. This was part of the cliffhanger launch uh, way back when, when J. Scott Campbell did um, Danger Girl, uh, Humberto Ramos did Crimson, and Joe Matarira did Battle Chasers. Um, you know, played with delays, switched companies from DC to Image, um, you know, and, uh, you know, it, basically Joe Matarira or Joe Mad uh, stopped doing the comic because he got a job doing video game work. And so this collects the entire series. Uh, and so I, I, I loved the series when it first came out. I loved the series. My wife even loved the series. Um, so I was I was very very excited about this anthology edition. And so I I, I convinced Andrew and Tim to read it. So what do you guys think? Andrew, I well, or Tim, something. <laughs> okay. Well, what I, I guess what I can say is that is a hefty book. Yeah. That's three hundred. Yeah, I mean, eight issues book. plus you know plus bonus stuff. Yeah, you know, I liked it. It kind of had a uh, throwback feel to it, but but I really enjoyed reading it. I was kind of disappointed when I got to the end and realized there war no more and never will be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a downer. I mean, there were some problems with it, but overall, it was a uh, it was a fantastic book, a lot of fun, very very fantasy setting, kind of very D and D esque. Now, my. Uh... My concern, you know, one of the big disappointments for me, you know, the, I was really looking forward to this book, and I, I kind of jumped straight to the uh, afterward to see if he would say, Battle Chasers will be back in 2012. Sorry, and there was dude. nothing like that. Yeah. You know, I was really hoping for that, and it, it wasn't there. Let me try to give everybody a little bit of a flavor text that didn't Google it. If you've ever watched Record of Lotus Wars, you would you would like Battle Chasers. Yep. It's it's very much a, a fantasy uh, anime kind of book. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Record of Lotus Wars is, but you should go watch it. Uh, I should go Google it. <laughs> okay, if you liked Battle Chasers, you'll like Record of Lotus Wars. Exactly. It's it a... is a little dated, just like just like this is. But I mean, for those of us that grew up with that stuff, then that's not a big deal. So here's the question. Okay, this book. Eight issues plus bonus stuff. Now we read it. In, you know we read preview editions. Um, cover price on this book is a hundred dollars. Whoa, <sighs> that's insane. And it is insane. Uh, now, of course, and I did they print two it. of them? <laughs> <laughs> you can get it on Amazon for fifty-seven bucks. But would that's you pay fifty-seven bucks for this book? Is is kind of the question? Yeah, Given you know, and the size of it. Yeah, I mean it's 314 pages. I want to say uh, it's hardback. 50 is kind of at the upper end for for what I would pay, but unlike 100 dollars, 50 seems reasonable to me. Huh. No, I wouldn't pay 50 dollars for any comic book. I'm sorry, that's that's just me. I don't really get a whole lot of trade paperbacks either, though. So, but what I'm if it was? To... What if it was a special, gigantic sized Damian Wayne trade paperback? Ooh. Where he spends. I would ask for it. Okay. Damian Wayne yeah. signed it himself. <laughs> I'd ask for it for Christmas, maybe, but I wouldn't be spending my money. Um, no, if what's red? What's the chick with the red hair, Paul? If Mom. she came with, yeah, if she came with the book, <laughs> then maybe. That was one of the ridiculous things in that book. Was, it was the, so nineties. 
the size of her chest was so unplausible. <laughs> she would like even implausible. She wouldn't be swashbuckling. <laughs> she'd, be in, she'd, be in, she'd be in the nursing home with back surgery, for God's sake, if she had that. Well, you know, Andrew's she has got to go all clinical on us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd unpause it. I'd implause it. I'd pause it. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just hear a motorboat? I, I think that. so. <laughs> but, oh my god! It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous book. It's it's fun. I I really love this book. You know, I wish they would have provided you know some new story content instead of just new art content but i enjoyed it you know i i I think you know even though i read the preview book i think i might actually pick it up you know the the 50 dollar price with the 50 dollar price tag yeah but i think we all can agree that a hundred dollars is too much yeah yeah you know definitely too much there are some absolute editions that i would love to own you know and those are all 99 bucks or more um I, and I've never been able to to convince yeah. myself to spend the dollars as I much just as can't I justify it as much as much as I want the absolute Watchmen or the uh, the Walking Dead one that has I think it's seventy five issues in it yeah or uh, the Invincible one I just I can't bring myself to spend that no, much I sure can't I mean not not when there are so many other cool things to buy now I acknowledge that I've spent more than that buying the individual issues to build up to that. Yeah. But still, I just that's well, just such a chunk all at once. I can't and, do it. And you know, if if uh, comics had any kind of resale anymore, you could go and sell your seventy five, you know, Walking Dead issues, and then go buy the Absolute Edition. But you know, th- that's what I did back with my Frank Miller books of uh, you know uh, the Return of the well, the Dark Knight Returns, and you know went out and bought the leather bound silver gilded pages you know, uh, edition and, and that's fantastic. It was great on my shelf, but I never would have spent those dollars if I hadn't been able to convert my, uh, my floppies. Cause that's just nuts, man. That is nuts. I mean, I've got, I've got a Thor hammer to buy and I've got a Thor <laughs> helmet to buy. Oh yeah. I'm going to target. And I was at the, uh, at target again and I was looking at that, at that hammer and then, you know, looked up and they had the Spider-Man mask and then they also had the arc light, you know, from uh, uh, Iron Man and the repulsor gloves and whatnot. I'm like, fuck, I could become a super adaptoid with all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all in kids sizes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Damn it. Because <laughs> I was looking at that hammer on uh, this week, too. I was at one of the stores and man, I really want that hammer. Yeah. <laughs> I, want a, I want an adult size that hammer swing around. Yeah. I'm going to put some heft into it so I can hit somebody like I'm hitting them with a brick and they're Steve Rogers. How <laughs> 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 much stuff would be broken at Aaron's house if he bought that hammer? Because <laughs> <laughs> we now know Captain America's fatal flaw. Because his wife would grab it and beat his ass That's right. That's right. <laughs> How much money did you spend on this? Yeah. <laughs> we'd go something like that. <laughs> but I, I was, I was, I, I was totally, you know, imagining this whole super adaptoid thing I could put together. I'm gonna have to do it for my friend's kid because none of it will fit me. Damn it! <laughs> you get the you get the Spidey web shooters that shoot the silly string. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 There we go. And uh, a Spidey Fantastic Four costume. 
Well, and you see, the, the, the great thing is, is that with Spider-Man on the on the Avengers now, it's actually it would actually be a super adaptoid kind of kind of it's, costume. It's, it's it under all the works. Marvel insensitivity line. Unstable molecules. Yeah. Sigh. And on that note, <laughs> we should wrap this bad boy up. All right, put a bow on it. See ya. <laughs> Another Bye. spectacular ending. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 